You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to 3CR's Radioactive Show, produced at my home on unceded Wurundjeri Woiwurrung lands. I pay my respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present and welcome all First Nations people listening today. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land and there can never be peace here until the right of First Nations people to sovereignty on their own lands is restored and respected. The Radioactive Show is distributed across these stolen lands known as Australia on the Community Radio Network and brought to you with the financial support of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. My name is AC. In today's show, we hear from Dr Jim Green, a speaker at the recent Sustainable Living Festival webinar, Nuclear Power for Australia? He spoke about why nuclear power is not a solution to climate change in detail but first gives a brief update on the campaign to stop a nuclear waste dump on Bangala land near Kimber, South Australia. Thanks, AC. And firstly, to acknowledge the Ghana traditional owners here in Adelaide of South Australia. Um, and as mentioned, I'm going to talk briefly about plans for a national nuclear waste dump. Uh, and also then I'm going to talk at greater length about plans for nuclear power. Um, so I'll jump straight in. Uh, firstly, the plan for a nuclear waste dump. I'm only going to touch on this briefly. Successive governments have been trying to uh, establish a national nuclear waste dump. Invariably, they try to establish it on Aboriginal land, despite the opposition of traditional owners. Uh, and that's happening once again currently. Uh, an area near Kimber on the Air Peninsula of South Australia uh, is being targeted, and that's the land of the Bangala traditional owners. They have been ignored from the outset. They were excluded from a so-called community ballot. Uh, The government even went so far as to fight a legal case um, to prevent their inclusion uh, from that community ballot. Uh, So they commissioned an independent professional opinion poll of Bangla traditional owners, which found unanimous opposition. The government ignored that. Then the government tried to amend legislation to prevent Bangla traditional owners from launching a legal challenge against the nomination of the dump site. Uh, That failed because uh, in the federal Senate, the Labor Party and crossbenchers voted against that amendment. So the site has been nominated uh, and a legal challenge has already been launched. And probably the single most practical thing we can do to support Bangalore traditional owners is to support, is to donate to, to their crowdfunder to support their legal challenge. Um, there's a lot more that we could say about the proposed nuclear waste dump. It's on farming land, which doesn't make sense, sense and that's a breach of our Panzer guidelines, our Panzer being the federal nuclear regulator. It's a breach of NHMRC guidelines. It just doesn't make sense. 
Uh, it's also a breach of South Australian law, and there's many other problems with this proposal for a national nuclear waste dump. Not, not the least being that measured by radioactivity, over 90% of the waste is uh, safely and securely stored at Lucas Heights, which is operated by the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation. Um, and that's 30k south of Sydney. So that's where the waste is. That's where Australia's nuclear ex experts work. That's where they've got multiple levels of security. That's where the waste can stay. And that particularly applies to the long-lived intermediate level waste, uh, some of which could reasonably be described as high-level nuclear waste. Uh, and that material is going to be sent to Kimber for above-ground storage, um, pending uh, the establishment of a deep underground nuclear waste repository, which could be anywhere in Australia. It could be in New South Wales, could be in WA, could be in Queensland. So why on earth would you move that from safe, secure storage at Lucas Heights to above ground storage at Kimber when its final resting place could be in Queensland or WA or back in New South Wales? It makes literally no sense. Um, and we're deeply concerned about that. And also it's taken decades for governments to fail to establish a low level waste repository. We suspect it will take much longer to establish a deep underground repository for higher level wastes. Uh, and effectively what that means is that Kimber will be an above ground dump site uh, for Australia's worst waste, Australia's highest level waste. So I might leave it there on the nuclear waste dump, albeit the case that that is our number one campaign at the moment to support Bangla uh, and to stop that nuclear waste dump. Uh, and once again, I would encourage people to uh, support the Bangla crowdfunder. That was Dr Jim Green, nuclear campaigner for Friends of the Earth Australia, suggesting ways that you can support Bangla's fight to stop a nuclear waste dump on their country. I'll add the crowdfunder website to our podcast page as well. Next up, Jim lays out why nuclear power is not a solution to climate change for Australia. So I'll move on to nuclear power for Australia. Uh, and these are the four issues I'm going to discuss. Firstly, it's a slow response to an urgent problem. Secondly, weapons proliferation and nuclear winter. Thirdly, climate change and nuclear hazards. And fourthly, and probably most importantly, nuclear power versus renewables. So a slow response to an urgent problem. Um, firstly, at the moment, there's bipartisan support for the federal legal ban against nuclear power. That legal ban was initiated by the Howard Coalition government. It has been supported and retained by every government since then including several Conservative coalition governments, namely the Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison Conservative coalition governments. Uh, there are legal bans in some of Australia's states and territories. There's no momentum to repeal those state and territory legal bans. Uh, a number of Conservative coalition part parties at the state and territory level are actively opposed to nuclear power, which is an interesting and new development in this debate. Uh, and specifically, I would refer people to the 2019 Federal Nuclear Inquiry, where you can find submissions opposing nuclear power from the SA, Tasmanian and Queensland 
Liberal and Liberal National parties. Uh, New South Wales government is clearly opposed. Uh, there's no real support for nuclear power at the political level outside of uh, the National Party and some of the fringes of, of the political landscape, such as Clive Palmer and his mob. So I've said there are 10 years to gain political support and repeal the legal bans. Well, you know, theoretically that could happen in one year, um, but it hasn't happened in the 25 years, 25 years since nuclear power was banned by the Howard government. Uh, and there's every likelihood it won't happen in the next 25 years either. But for the sake of argument, let's say 10 years, then there would be 10 years for planning and approvals, keeping in mind that we would be introducing nuclear power for the first time. So there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be developed. I'm thinking of institutional infrastructure, like beefing up the regulatory agency, uh, recruiting competent scientists and engineers and so on. Uh, 10 years for construction, that's basically the global average. You'll find exceptions to that. Some are shorter, some are longer, but 10 years is the average. Uh, then you would need to repay the energy and the carbon debt. Uh, and I'm citing a University of New South Wales study there, uh, which is 6.5 years. So add all that up and nuclear power could begin contributing to climate change abatement in the late 2050s, so over 30 years from now. And even then, nuclear power would only be contributing to climate change abatement if and only if it was displacing high carbon energy sources, namely fossil fuels, and it would not be contributing to climate change abatement if it was uh, replacing other low carbon energy sources. So that's the first problem. Nuclear power is a slow response to an urgent problem. The second issue or set of issues is nuclear power and nuclear weapons. Nuclear power programs have provided cover for numerous covert nuclear weapons programs and an expansion of nuclear power around the world would exacerbate the problem. Australia is a classic case study of a covert nuclear weapons program. Uh, whether it's uranium being stockpiled for uh, weapons purposes, uh, the staffing at Lucas Heights being increased with the federal minister saying specifically that one of the advantages of having a, a strong Lucas Heights nuclear agency is that would provide the foundations for a weapons program. Uh, nuclear power, Australia's only serious push for nuclear power was the plan for a nuclear reactor at Jervis Bay, uh, which is on the East Coast. And the Prime Minister at the time was John Gorton, who said quite openly that one of the purposes of this nuclear reactor was to give Australia the option of producing plutonium for nuclear weapons. Uh, and there are many other overlapping aspects there as well, including delivery. Australia purchased F-111 aircraft, and it was later acknowledged that that purchase was, was made because F-111 aircraft had the capacity to carry nuclear weapons and they had the range to drop nuclear weapons on Indonesia. Anyway, Australia's one case study, there are literally 20 others. And if you look at the 10 countries who have actually produced nuclear weapons, then five of them did so under cover of peaceful nuclear programs. And uh, for the other five countries, uh, they, at least four and probably five of those countries 
have used dual purpose power reactors to produce plutonium for weapons. So the general point I'm making is that we're not dealing with the occasional rogue state. We're not just dealing with, for example, a country like North Korea, which uses an experimental power reactor to produce plutonium for weapons. We're dealing with a systemic problem associated with nuclear power uh, and a systemic problem of, of supposedly peaceful nuclear programs being used as cover for, for weapons programs and weapons ambitions. Al Gore made the following comments many, many years ago, but I think it just summarises the problem very neatly and very strongly. And he says that when he was uh, US Vice President, for eight years in the White House, every weapons proliferation problem we dealt with was connected to a civilian reactor program. And if we ever got to the point where we wanted to use nuclear reactors to back out of a lot of coal, then we'd have to put them in so many places, we'd run that proliferation risk right off the reasonability scale. So there are strong connections between nuclear power and nuclear weapons. And incidentally, there's been a seismic shift in this debate in recent years. For decades, nuclear, the nuclear industry and its supporters have denied and trivialised those connections between nuclear power and nuclear weapons. But over the past five years, uh, nuclear power has been so sick and so sorry and so desperate that they've actually done a complete backflip and they now openly acknowledge the connections between nuclear power and weapons and they celebrate those connections and they argue that the weapons capabilities of nuclear power programs is one more reason why nuclear power programs should be subsidised. So an astonishing about-face, a complete repudiation of everything they've been saying for several decades, an indication of how desperate the industry is. And you can see that about-face most clearly in countries like the United States, the UK and France, but it's evident elsewhere as well, even in Australia. <coughs> excuse me, even in Australia, uh, if you're watching Sky, which I'm sure you will are, all are, or reading Murdoch, tabloids, there's a, a nod and a wink to these sorts of arguments. They'll say that a nuclear power program will bolster Australia's security, which is a fairly cryptic comment, but I think it's meant, um, meant to be understood as a, as a nod and a wink towards the weapons capabilities of nuclear power programs. That was Dr Jim Green explaining the link between nuclear power and nuclear weapons. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced on unceded Wurundjeri Woiwurrung lands for 3CR and distributed across, across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network. Jim now continues his discussion of the threat of nuclear weapons proliferation posed by nuclear power. So strong connections between power and weapons. Weapons proliferation obviously increased the, risks, the risk of nuclear warfare. And nuclear warfare, in addition to its direct and devastating impacts, has the potential to cause catastrophic climate change by lifting vast amounts of aerosols, smoke, soot and dust into the atmosphere. And here's a quote from Alan Roebuck in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. We now understand that the atmospheric effects of a nuclear war would last for at least a decade more than proving the nuclear winter theories of the 1980s correct. 
by our calculations, a regional nuclear war between India and Pakistan using less than 0.3% of the current global arsenal would produce climate change unprecedented in recorded human history. So that's interesting in the context of these arguments that we need nuclear power to solve climate change. Um, there's a, a fairly perverse uh, and uh, in reinterpretation of that, which is that nuclear power contributes to weapons proliferation. Weapons proliferation leads to nuclear warfare, which could cause catastrophic climate change. Another way to put that is the burning of fossil fuels is the surest way to catastrophic climate change. Uh, nuclear proliferation and nuclear warfare is the fastest route to catastrophic climate change. Nuclear plants are also vulnerable to security threats such as conventional military attacks and cyber attacks. And of course, this is very topical at the moment with the war in uh, Ukraine or the war on Ukraine or Russia's takeover of Ukraine uh, because Ukraine has 15 power reactors uh, even before this military assault on Ukraine, it was a very, very dodgy nuclear power program with corruption, with aging reactors that should already have been decommissioned, uh, with inadequate regulation and all sorts of problems, uh, and a lack of safeguards inspections at some of Ukraine's nuclear facilities because of Russia's invasion of eastern Ukraine and Crimea in 2014. Um, I guess people have seen in the news that the Chernobyl nuclear site was taken over by the Russian military. I won't talk at length about that. There's been credible uh, reports of an increased radiation levels around that site. Uh, thankfully, the most credible explanation for that is that uh, the Russian military has simply been stirred, has been stirring up contaminated dust, uh, resulting in a mild elevation of uh, radiation levels and radiation exposure. Um, we think it's highly unlikely that there's been any uh, direct or deliberate or inadvertent strikes on the reactors or the nuclear waste stores at Chernobyl. More on this argument that we need nuclear power to address climate change. Um, one of the many problems with that argument is that nuclear pl plants are vulnerable to the threats which are being exacerbated by climate change. And these include dwindling and warming water resources. So for example, in Europe and North America, every summer they have to reduce the power of operating nuclear power plants or sometimes take them offline altogether uh, just because of dwindling and warming water sources. Another risk is sea level rise, storm damage, drought, jellyfish swarms, uh, sometimes block up, block up the water intake pipes, which is potentially dangerous. And at the upper end of this risk spectrum, Climate threats pose serious risks such as storms cutting off grid power, uh, leaving nuclear plants reliable on generators for reactor cooling. Water wars are becoming increasingly common with climate change, and that's a problem for nuclear power because it consumes vast amounts of water. Uh, one 1,000 megawatt nuclear power reactor typically consumes 50 million litres of water per day. 
the range is 35 to 65 million litres of water per day. Uh, a small percentage of the world's nuclear power reactors, less than 10%, uh, do not use water cooling, but that means that over 90% do use water cooling and they consume a, a massive amount of water. So again, to make that a bit more direct, there's often talk about replacing uh, coal-fired power plants in Victoria with nuclear plants. They say in many respects, it's a like-for-like -like replacement. You've got the infrastructure. Uh, in some respects, you've got a workforce, got transmission infrastructure and so on. But apart from any other problems, um, the coal regions of Victoria are already water stressed because coal itself is a thirsty technology. They're already water stressed. So replacing one thirsty energy technology with an even thirstier energy technology will um, make that water stress even worse in those regions of Victoria. And by contrast, the REN21 Renewables Global Status Report states Renewable energy systems have unique qualities that make them suitable both for reinforcing the resilience of the wider energy infrastructure and for ensuring the provision of energy services under challenging climatic conditions. System modularity, distributed deployment and local availability and diversity of fuel sources, central components of energy system resilience, are key characteristics of most renewable energy systems. And continuing on the same theme, uh, nuclear power plants are vulnerable to threats which are being exacerbated. I just wanted to read the last quote here. This is from nuclear engineer David Lockbourne, who at the time was working for the Union of Concerned Scientists in the US. Uh, and that's a great resource for information on nuclear power. Um, the, the UCS and David Lockbourne states, I've heard many nuclear proponents say that nuclear power is part of the solution to global warming. Uh, it needs to be reversed. You need to solve global warming for nuclear plants to survive. That was Dr Jim Green explaining how nuclear power isn't safe in a politically and climatically unstable world. You're listening to The Radioactive Show. Jim continues his discussion about why nuclear power is not a climate solution, looking at the costs of nuclear compared to renewables. And the last of the four issues I want to talk about, nuclear power versus renewables. If you look at uh, data produced by organisations such as Lazard's, um, you'll see that it was a, roughly a decade ago that renewables started to become cheaper than nuclear power. The gap has been widening, and these days there is absolutely no comparison, no matter how you cut this issue up. And here's the proof. You look at the 2021 global figures, uh, renewables grew by 290 gigawatts, which is more than four times Australia's total electricity generating capacity. So it's a, a very significant growth and it was a record year. I think nearly every year over the past decade has been a record for global renewables. So last year, 290 gigawatts of new renewables compared to a decline of nuclear power of, of 2.5 gigawatts. 
so, you know, in a sense, the race is over. Those figures are, are staggering and striking, uh, and it must be miserable times for the few remaining nuclear advocates because nuclear is being trounced. Uh, and also nuclear power has been stagnant around the world for the past 30 years. And there's a big difference between the situation 30 years ago and the situation now. If you go back to the 1990s, there were roughly 400 mostly young new reactors. Now we've got 400 or so ageing reactors, a significant percentage of which have reached their design life. Uh, and there will be a wave of closures of these reactors simply because they are ageing. So, for example, the International Atomic Energy Agency expects the closure of about 10 reactors per year over the coming decade. In fact, it expects the closure of about 10 reactors over the coming decade, two decades and three decades. Uh, so the nuclear industry will need 10 new reactors every year just to stand still, let alone to achieve any growth. So we can look at the figures over the past decade and reactor construction starts average just five per year. Uh, so they would need to double that just for nuclear power to stand still. Again, it's a deeply disturbing situation for the nuclear industry and its few remaining supporters. So the next data I've got here is that nuclear power has fallen from a peak of 17.5%, that was 25 years ago. It's steadily fallen to 10% of global electricity generation, while renewables have grown steadily and now account for 29 to 30%. And getting back to the economics, I mentioned the Lazard's report there uh, before, and that's well worth looking at. Uh, in the Australian context, the most important research is being done by CSIRO and the Australian Energy Market Operator. And time and time again, they've demonstrated that uh, nuclear power is considerably more expensive than renewables, whether you do that on a levelised cost of electricity basis or a more sophisticated model, which, which they used in their most recent report. Uh, which includes so-called integration costs for renewables, namely storage and transmission. <coughs> so in this 2021 GenCost report, CSIRO gives these 2030 cost estimates. Nuclear, uh, and it's costing small modular reactors, 128 to 322 Australian dollars per megawatt hour, which is far more expensive than a scenario where uh, wind and solar PV provide 90% of our electricity and integration costs are included, and that's just $55 to $80 per megawatt hour. Um, currently, renewables generate a bit more than 30% of Australia's electricity, uh, but things just have started to change very quickly in places like South Australia. They're starting to move very quickly in other states. Even the federal government, namely the Federal Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources, expects the contribution of renewables to more than double and to reach 69% uh, supply to the national electricity market by 2030. 
And keep in mind that that is even with a corrupt and obstructionist federal government, which has done everything it can to block the growth of renewables. And it's been doing that ever since the Howard government, if not earlier. Um, if a Labor is elected at the election in May, mind you, Labor's got its own problems, including significant reliance on fossil fuel donors. But Labor is aiming for, I think it's 82% renewable supply by 2030. Uh, and it's quite possible to go considerably higher than that. South Australia, uh, well, Tasmania has long been uh, the Australian leader because it's got the huge hydro resources. For countries without hydro resources, South Australia is easily leading the pack. We're up to 67% renewable electricity supply with much more in the pipeline. So we will get to 100% net renewable electricity before 2030. So the Climate Council of Australia, I think this is an important report because it's produced by Australia's leading climate scientists and other policy experts. They concluded that nuclear power plants are not appropriate for, for Australia and probably never will be. And their statement continued, nuclear power stations are highly controversial, can't be built under existing law in any Australian state or territory are a more expensive source of power than renewable energy and present significant challenges in terms of storage and transport of nuclear waste and use of water. That was Dr Jim Green wrapping up his discussion about the suitability of nuclear power for Australia with a clear message from climate scientists that nuclear power is too expensive, too water intensive and too dangerous to be considered a climate solution. That's it for today. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR at my home in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across these stolen lands known as Australia on the Community Radio Network. This show and all previous podcasts can be found at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you want to get in touch with us, please call the 3CR office on 03 9419 8377 or email radioactiveshow.3cr You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.